And uh, if you want to join me in the word today, we're going to be reading out of 1 John 1.1. If you want to join me there. 1 John 1.1. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we were in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come to you and we give thanks, Lord, and particularly on this weekend where we thank those who have served and given their lives for our freedoms, Lord. Uh, let's not fail to recognize that you was you give the ultimate sacrifice. Your sacrifice, Lord, gives us the ability to see you in heaven, Lord. And we just uh, ask that you open our eyes and ears. Uh, let us see and hear, Lord, what you have for us, Lord. We ask that you prepare us to go out into your mission field and be the soldiers that take your word out to a world that desperately needs you. And we give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what Jackie's going to do after John. I didn't want to have to change the name of any of the slides. So we just had to put a one in front of John, and now we're good. And after that, we're going to put a two in front of John, and then we're going to put a three. We're going to do some of the uh, smaller um, uh, general epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, uh, which should wrap up all of our uh, teaching tapes online so that the whole Bible will be online uh, for anybody who wants to work their way through it. So so we're going to wrap those things up. And <clears throat> then after that, I'm probably going to look at something in the, in the Old Testament, but don't worry, that'll probably be January, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We look at 1 John, 1 John, it's interesting because John never says he wrote it, and we're running off of a little bit of church tra tradition to come up with the author, uh, John, a little bit I say, because there is a testimony in church tradition that says John wrote it. That testimony is a guy named Polycarp. You guys ever heard of Polycarp? Polycarp was a martyr. Uh, he died for his faith. He's in Fox's Book of Martyrs. He gave testimony that John wrote it. Now, you may ask me, why do we care about Polycarp? Because Polycarp is generation two. Generation one is the disciples, right? So we talk about the disciples whom Jesus chose. And each of Jesus' disciples had disciples. John had one disciple whose name was Polycarp. So if Polycarp, a disciple of John, says, yeah, John wrote that, that's good enough for me. He's the guy who hung out with John. The first, second, and third John are probably the last books written in the Bible. I know Revelation is the last one in the Bible. John wrote Revelation probably around 95. And after that, sometime between 95 and 98, 
John wrote, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He's the longest living disciple, lived, uh, died of old age in Ephesus. His, uh, his grave is there in Ephesus as well as Mary, the mother of Jesus. Remember, Jesus at the cross told John to take care of his mom. And she also has a, a grave there, tomb, a grave site in Ephesus. Ephesus is the church where he's going to finish out his ministry. And so as he does, one of the things John's going to do as an old pastor, he's going to come up before the people and he's going to consistently challenge them that their lives, that they profess faith and, and in Christ, that the profession is always or is also a possession. You know, we can say anything. I could say to you, I'm a model, but if you look at me, you're going to say, probably not. <laughs> right? So we can say, we can say, we can make, <laughs> easy, it's not that funny. <clears throat> All right, so, so we can make any profession that we want, but a possession, meaning that, that the profession matches, you, you, you get what I'm saying? Another way to consider it is, um, the Lord is a gardener. We know this from the beginning in Genesis, right? That, that the Lord created the heavens and the earth. He creates man. And then the Bible says the Lord planted a garden. And he put man in the midst of the garden. And I think for a lot of us, our lives in Christ can be understood or, or illustrated as a garden. And if you are the Lord's garden... There are some things that are going to grow in the garden, and there are some things the Lord's going to take out of the garden. Now, people are in a variety of different timelines in their garden, right? All our gardens don't match up on timeline at the same time. Some may, may have things in it faster than others, others slower, but still you have the reality of being a garden of God, and seeing the fingerprints of the gardener in your life. Does that make sense? Seeing what God's doing, how God's working in us. And so, 1 John is going to help us understand that. Now, when we jump in, he begins with a prologue. It should remind you of the Gospel of John, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. When we come to 1 John, he says, That which was from the beginning... Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now we're tempted to think of the word of life as something like our Bibles. Okay, so here it is. This is what he's talking about. But we're going to see as we go down through the prologue, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about a person. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, face to face with God, and the Word was God. So you have that reality, that being laid out for us. And so this is what has always been, that phrase, that which is from the beginning, means before there was a beginning, this was. The Word of life already existed. And so he's saying of this Word of life, he has utilized all of his senses to experience it. He's heard it. He's seen him. He's looked upon him. That means to investigate, to handle, to touch the word of life. And we see this. The Bible talks about this in this concept, right? We, the Bible talks about it in creation. In Psalms 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Seeing the fingerprints of God in creation, in those things which are made. Romans 1.20, right? says, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So man is without excuse. I've shared with you before... Being an atheist is a proclamation of rejection of God, not a rejection of evidence of his handiwork. We see this same concept about 
about the word that God reveals to us in 2 Peter 1.19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, no prophecy is of private interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's speaking this idea, the word of life in creation, in his word, the reality that this word of life came. Right? We've said several times, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, face to face, looking into the face of God. And the word was God. John 1, 14 tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. That is the disciples, right? They're saying, we've seen him. We saw the glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Gospel of John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. No one has ever seen him. The Word is the revelation of God. And the last book of our Bible is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Which is God's revelation of who he is. How we can know, how we can understand. John 14, 9, Jesus said to Thomas, have I been with you so long? You don't know me, or to Philip. You don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen uh, me has seen the Father. No one has ever seen God at any time. It is the only God at his side, in his bosom in the bosom of the Father that has revealed him to us. 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. For he was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This proclamation that this word of life has come. He goes on. And gives us the reality that he experienced. Verse 2, this life, the word of life, the life was made manifest. We just talked about that, right? He became flesh. He materialized before us. The Bible says that God is invisible. The concept is not only that he can't be seen with your eyes, but he can't be understood with your mind. God has to first come and interject himself into your reality or you would spend your whole reality not knowing anything about him so he interjects himself he leaves his fingerprints he put his son who could be seen touched handled and heard he gives us this made manifest and this writer john says we have seen it and testify and proclaim So one, he has seen the glory of God. We read about that earlier. He has seen this life made manifest. He's testifying. He's a witness of it. Eyewitness, right? I was there. I saw, touched, handled. I laid my head upon the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. This is the author of this book. I stood at the foot of the cross while he said for me to care for his mother. I stood at the foot of the cross, saw the the hate of man poured out i saw the wrath of god on the shoulders of as jesus bore the the price the penalty upon himself that we would be saved from the wrath of god not only is he witnessing that he says i am proclaiming it that's the word for preach he's heralding you know, I always think uh, back to Knight's Tale. You know, and the, the, the herald in Knight's Tale who would proclaim the knight that was about to do battle, he, that is the act of proclaiming, heralding. That's what preaching, that's what the word means. To, to proclaim something, some, the greatness of Christ. That's the ultimate goal of any preacher. 
And so as he's, as he's laying out these ideas, here's what's, why. Why is he telling us this? He's seen it. He's testifying. He's a witness of it. And he's heralding it to you, the eternal life. That's who Jesus is. That's who he is. He is life incarnate. Which was with the Father. Again, that phrase, with the Father, means face to face. It's not an idea of side by side, face to face. The Father looking into the eyes of the Son. The Son looking into the eyes of the Father. Obviously, this is an illustration for us to understand. They are together and was made manifest to us. Seen, heard, handled. And that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim, same phrase again, heralding, preaching, we proclaim to you so that you too may have, what's the goal? Fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So what's the goal? That we would have fellowship with one another, that we would have fellowship with God, and that we would have fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship, that word koinonia, is that which we have in common. This is what binds us and brings us together. And when we talk about fellowship, which is something we're going to try to nail down, we want to talk about the idea that fellowship is built around a person. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. The Son is the doorway to uh, the Father, right? He is the pathway through which we must walk. The, the Lord has commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe, right? This is what opens the door. This is what brings us into fellowship. That fellowship is with a person. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Don't forget those last two words. What does it say? Our Lord. That's going to be important as we work our way through 1 John. The concept of Jesus being Lord. And the idea that I've been talking about, this picture of a garden, and am I really the Lord's garden? Do, do I have fellowship with, with the gardener? Is the gardener, you know, how does, how does the gardener get a garden? How does it get one in our world today? First, it's purchased, right? He purchases the garden. And after he purchases the garden, then he's going to work the garden. And the question it, we have to ask ourselves is going, First John is going to deal with this question. He's going to bring this up over and over again. Do we have authentic fellowship with Jesus Christ? And the idea of fellowship is an idea of partnership. We talked about it last time a little bit. Luke 5.10 talks about the sons of Zebedee, right, John and James, and they were partners with Peter. The idea that they had fellowship with Peter. They were united in a common purpose. And that in the case in Luke chapter 5, they were fishermen, remember? They were united in fishing, and the Lord called them and said, Come to me, and you will, I will make you fishers of men. Right, I will make you... Uh, I will make you, you will be my disciples and you will become disciplers. And so this, this idea of partnership, fellowship has this idea of partnership. So what's the practice for the church? How do we, how do we practice that? We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, so they devoted themselves. This is talking about the church. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's study of the word. And to fellowship. Remember last time I told you, if you're not here, well, it's like me cutting off my hand and putting it in the freezer. Something's missing. There's a part missing. There's something that you bring. And, and I guess I want to I wanna challenge you guys. I'm challenged by this ideal. A lot of times people will talk about church service. Oh, was that a good service? Wasn't it a good service? Did Jackie have enough jokes? Not enough jokes? Were they all lame? Uh, you know, do I like how he's doing his hair now. Is his beard too shaggy? Does he look like a homeless guy? Uh, 
What do you call me? Oh, Kathy, if I don't look groomed enough, she says, I look like the drunk preacher, so that's never a goal. <laughs> so when we look at church, we want to comprehend what was, what was, was this a good service or it wasn't a good service? I, I want to challenge you with this idea. It really has nothing to do with anything uh, that you get. The question we should ask ourselves at the end of church is, was God pleased with my worship? Is God pleased with my devotion? Not, did I get something I needed or am I getting... The, that, those things naturally happen. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen, but that's not the goal. What's the goal? The goal of worship is to ascribe worth to God. That he is worthy, right? We study his word so that I might know him more. So the question I try to ask myself now is, was God pleased? Lord, are you pleased with my effort to worship you? And this should be the attitude that we have, the practice. This is why we gather because, like I said, when you're gone, something's missing. A part of the body is gone. Paul says we're all part of a body, different parts. We make up a diverse body, one body, the body of Christ. But we all have a part to play. And if we're not together, we can't do that. People ask the question, why, why is it that churches are freaking out over, you know, not meeting, not singing, not gathering together? And some people erroneously think that it's just nobody likes to be told what to do. And, and there's some of that, right? I don't like being told what to do. As soon as you tell me speed limit is 25 miles an hour around a corner, I say times 2 plus 10. <laughs> That's what I do. So there is some of that, but the reality is God's word tells us that we must fellowship. Be partners together for one purpose. What's the one purpose? Not to be entertained. Not That's how the world sees it. What is our purpose? Not to sing songs we like or sing songs we don't like. It is to ascribe value, worth to God. To gather together as his body and give him our praise. That's what, that's what we do it for. So we want to we ask ourselves the right questions. Are we practicing the fellowship that God talks about? Now, there are perils in fellowship. Do you know that there are perils in fellowship? The Bible says that we should not be unequally yoked together, right? For what fellowship has light with darkness? So there are perils. There are perils. There, are, there, there is a type of fellowship that will pull us away from truth. And there's a type of fellowship that will draw us together. In truth, and we want to be able to walk in the light. This is the point that he's making. Well, as John's writing this prologue about the word of life, Jesus Christ incarnate, God in the flesh, who has revealed these things to him and through him, so that we, we as we read his word, so that we might have fellowship with John, the apostles, and that we might have fellowship with one another for what purpose? That our joy may be full that we may be able to rejoice together with all the saints. John's going to write in 3 John verse 4, probably one of my favorite verses, I guess, if you have those. This is what John writes. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. So this is the goal, right? Why, is, why do the apostles write this to us? Why do we study the word? So that we might know the truth. And we may walk in the truth. And we would recognize that Jesus Christ said he is the truth. Pilate, when he was talking to Jesus, had this statement to make in casting off that ideal. Pilate said, Kedest veritas. What is truth? What is truth? Nobody can know truth. Our world's pretty confused about truth now, isn't it? You have your truth, they have their truth, somebody else has another truth. Um, and so we struggle trying to define this. Well, Jesus makes it easy for us. He said, I am the way, the, and the, I am truth. And so 
when I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I follow him, I walk in the revelation of his truth. I walk in the revelation of his light. And when I do so, then I, I am able to rejoice. I am able to rejoice at the beauty that God is working in my life. Here he says in verse 5, this is the message. Here's the message. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, the one who we saw, touched, handled, heard. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed, preached to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the whole con, there's so many concepts about light that we really want to keep in our mind when we consider this. When it says God is light, that is, light is revelation. Light is, reveals things to us, right? If I turn off the light in here, nobody knows where anything is. Can't see it. I, I, maybe I know where it was last, the last minute, but I might not be able to find it because I can't see. God is light. No darkness. He reveals the truth. He is revealing truth. Truth comes through him. And it's the very first thing God did. Right? Genesis 1. The Lord said, let there be, and there was light. And when I read Genesis, and you guys can argue with me later. When I read Genesis, especially go through the creation account, I'm not focused on some type of scientific novel. I'm looking at the things God is, is demonstrating when he talks about it. Now, when he says, let there be light, and boom, light is, that is God's revelation right now. Without God saying those words, you'd know nothing about God. You'd know nothing about creation. You'd know nothing about how that came to be. The Lord made light so you could see so you could see, so you could walk in his truth, so you could understand. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Jesus making that proclamation. Here I am. I'm, I am light. The, the Lord, God Almighty, he is light. No darkness. No darkness. He illuminates. He shows us the things that are there. <clears throat> you maybe could walk through a dark hallway and well like this some some of you guys maybe have gone to haunted houses where albion has a has a haunted house what makes the haunted house scary it's the dark because if you turn on the lights you see all the wires right you see all this all the strings you see that it's an illusion the darkness that that is what makes it so scary well it's the same way with life it's the darkness that makes it scary. It's God's ability to come and give us light that illuminates that to us. When the Bible speaks of Messiah, listen to what it says, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. I am the Lord, verse 6. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant, a promise for the people a light for the Gentile, the nations, goyim. I give you as light to the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to bring prisoners out of the dungeon, and from prison those who sit in darkness. I've, I am the light. I am the light. I am the light. It's the light that reveals my need. It's the light that reveals the things that are necessary for me. In John chapter 1, it says, In him, speaking of Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines where? In the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Does darkness ever overcome light? Only if you turn it off. But if the light's on, it don't matter how dark you get it, there's light. There is light, that revealing light the life, and it's also our ability to comprehend and understand God's revelation. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Right? The light that God has given. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives 
light. Remember, the word of God is meditative literature. It's designed to be unfolded, considered, turned over, studied, looked at, so that we might comprehend. And when we do that, when we go through those exercises, it brings light, understanding, the ability to recognize and see. And this is who God is. He is light. Well, who are we? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For at one time you, Jackie, were darkness. At one time I was darkness. But the light of Christ shone. And it says, Now you are light in the Lord. So what am I commanded to do? Walk as children of light. So the fruit of light, he says in Ephesians 5, 9, is found in all that is good, right, and true. And trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, what is honoring to him, what blesses him. Not taking, not taking uh, um, part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but exposing them. How do we expose them? Well, if you're light, all you have to do is be in the same room. Right? Turn on the light. And darkness flees. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In him is light, no darkness at all. The questions then come. The questions here at the end of chapter 1, there's going to be three questions that are in the negative. And each one has a response, a positive response, and a ne they're, they're uh, given to us in, from a negative point of view and a positive point of view. So to help us see, hopefully, to help us understand what's being said. What is it that he's trying to challenge? Do the claims we make match the life we live? Is our, do we have only a profession? Do we have a profession and a possession? Are we professing the reality that Christ lives in me and my life bears witness that Christ lives in me and, and how that is accomplished? We're going to see in just a moment. So can we match the claims, the claims of our life? Are they genuine? Are they real? He begins in verse 6. So if we say we have fellowship with him, now that's what he said in the beginning. What's our goal? To have fellowship with the apostles and the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son, we have fellowship, member of partnership, a, a linking of purpose. He just said, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. So if you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. This is, this is talking of a, of a progression, a desire not to be in the light. If you say, I have fellowship with Christ, but I don't want to be in the light. Because Christ is light, right? And in him is no darkness. So I say I have fellowship with Christ. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a grateful believer in Christ, but, but I, 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 don't, I don't have nothing to do with the light. Something's not right, right? That garden's not a possession of the Lord. Our first claim, we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now he's going to give you the positive spin in verse 7. Look at the positive spin. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ does what? cleanses us from all our sin. We come to the light. It's, it's he that does it. It's not me. It's, it's me coming into him. I'm entering into him. This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about abiding in Christ. 169 times in 13 letters, Paul says that we need to be in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. I got to be in him. 
If I'm in him, I become light. I was darkness, but when I get in him, his light dispels the darkness. His blood washes me clean of all my sin. If I say I have fellowship with him, but I walk in darkness, I don't want to be in the light. I want to be in the dark. Then I lie, and the truth's not in me. But, positively, if I walk in the light, I'm saying I abide in Christ, and I'm there in the light. My darkness has been turned to light. Then I do have fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus Christ washes me clean of all my sin. So the first claim is a claim of fellowship. How do I know I have fellowship with God? You stand in the light. Because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I stand in light. I have a desire to be in the light. Jesus said when he came, he said, I did not come to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. So Jesus Christ came to save. He said, in this is the condemnation of the world. Light has come, but men loved the darkness rather than the light. So, hey, I get to, I get to choose it all, right? I get to pick how I, how I do life. And I can choose the darkness. I've actually heard people say these words to me. I really like the darkness, Jackie. Okay. You have that freedom. Just don't say in the same sentence, I have fellowship with Christ. No, he's light. And then we say, well, how do we know what light is? Oh, that part's really easy. Jesus, when he called someone, what did he say? You come follow me. Right? So I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going I'm to do what he says to do. One of the scariest things Jesus says in the Bible is he says, on that day... Men will come to me and they will say, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we healed in your name. Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus said, and I will say to them, depart from me, ye accursed, into everlasting darkness. Workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Now, that last phrase prior to that is important. Workers of iniquity. Let me say it to you another way. Dwellers in the dark. We can put on a show for anybody, right? But the reality is, do you know the difference if you're standing in the light or you're standing in the dark? You do. You know. I don't even have to tell you. You know if you're in the light... Or if you're in the dark, he said, look, we, this is claim number one. The next claim, not dealing with fellowship, is dealing with sin. It's dealing with sin. Verse 8, we have the negative. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now here's what he's talking about. In a moment, he's going to give us the positive. But if you confess your sin, <clears throat> okay, so keep that in mind. When he says, if you say you have no sin, it's that you disagree with God. Ever disagree with God? So this is where the whole concept of Lord and King comes in for me. I, 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 don't, I don't need to know the whys of anything. If, if Jesus is my King and Jesus tells me, love your wife like I love the church then there's no excuse, does not matter what she did or didn't do. My response to my king is, yes, Lord. Anytime in the Bible we read this phrase, no, Lord, something is wrong. <laughs> right? Something is wrong if you say no, Lord, and there's lots of places that say no, Lord, but Lord, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, then something's Here's, here's what that means. Then I'm not your Lord. If I'm your Lord, you do what I say. You'll do what I command. And before we get too carried away and crazy about it, and I, I actually believe that, that um, oh, the law is good and all that stuff is good, everything is good, we're, we're, the things that the Lord commanded us, when you understand how the law works, there's none of that that you have to be afraid of. 
but Jesus made it easy for us. Jesus was asked, so Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember? So he said, Here, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this phrase. All the law and the, and the prophets are wrapped up in this. That you love God and love people. If you look at the Ten Commandments, first four commandments are all our relationship with God, right? Two tablets of the commandments, love God with all your heart. The rest is our neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not... This is not complicated. It's not something we look at and go, oh, that's so horrible that I have to do that. Yeah, it's so horrible. <laughs> Easy. Easy. The Lord lays this out for us. Okay, so if we say we have no sin. So if, I, if I'm arguing with God, no, Lord, this thing in my life is not sin, which is in direct contradiction to what God said, Right? I say, Lord, I'm not going to love my wife. I'm not going to do it. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I, I just can't, I can't get it. I don't have it in me. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to love my wife. If you say you have no sin, you're saying, the argument is saying, it's not sin, God. It's just nobody could love her. Huh. <laughs> okay, I'm speaking hypothetically, so I don't want a bunch of letters and phone calls, Right? No letters and phone calls. I know Kathy's lovable. Okay, yes, she's, I love her very much. This is a story for illustration. <clears throat> Somehow I'm going to get in trouble for this later. <laughs> but if I say, no, I don't, I don't have to do that. That's not sin. This is what the person is saying. This is no sin. This is no sin. It's Okay. If you say you have no sin, you disagree with what God is saying is sinful. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Truth not, am I standing in the light or the darkness? I'm standing in the darkness saying your light is not light. And so this is the second claim. Now the positive spin on that, rather than saying, no, no, this isn't wrong, it's okay, Say, but, verse 9, if we confess. Now, that's an important word. That word confess means to agree with God. If I confess, yes, Lord, you're right. I am supposed to love my wife and I haven't been doing it. Forgive me. That's, I'm saying the same thing as God, right? I'm saying what God said. I'm affirming what God has said. What does the next part of the verse say? He, what does God do? He shows his faithfulness. What does he do? He's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On one hand, I'm saying it's not sin. It doesn't matter. And now, now I'm not in the truth. But on the other hand, I'm agreeing with God. Yea, Lord, you're right. What you say is true. You're right. Forgive me. I'm confessing he is faithful and just. He will forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He will do that perfect work. Negatively, if we, if we say we have no sin, we are self-deceiving. And we have no truth. Positively, if I agree with God, I confess with him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? So you have this, and then in verse 10, he's going to go back to it. So if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The concept, the whole concept centers around the phrase to confess your sin. The idea of confessing my sin is, is kind of in opposition to normally how we do it. Normally what we do is we say in a prayer, uh, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. And the Lord says, I know, you have. <laughs> and he waits. Because he wants you to know what you've done. 
He doesn't want the soft consideration of my life, right? When we take communion, what does the Bible tell us to do? Examine yourselves, right? Look, examine yourselves. See if there's a wicked way in me. This is what the psalmist cried out to God. Lord, search me, try me. Show me my wickedness. For what purpose? That I might confess, that I might agree with you. Yea, Lord, you are right. Forgive me. And God says he's faithful just to forgive you. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a situation of condemnation. It's a situation where God is inviting you to come to the light. He's inviting you, come to the light. Come stand in the light with me. In the light there is life. In the light there is warmth. In the, in the light there is love. In the light there is all the things you long for in life. And he beckons you come. But men still want to stand in the darkness and not come to the invitation to stand in the light. In fact, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 20, he said this, For everyone who does wicked things, just, just if the word wicked bugs you, just make it dark. Everyone who does dark things, everyone who wants to be in the dark, hates the light and does not come to the light because he doesn't want to be exposed. There is nothing like standing before a holy, just, perfect God in my wretchedness. That's why a former owner of slaves who saw his own wretchedness and worked to see that wretchedness that was a part of his life to be uh, put, put away, that person wrote a song, right? Amazing Grace, you've heard of it, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved what? Now, we say the word so much, we don't think about it. But trust me, when you stand in the light of Christ, you will see your own wretchedness. I see mine. I first came face to face to my wretchedness in a single wide trailer in North Carolina. Confessing to my wife that for the umpteenth time I had cheated on her. And now the fruit of my unfaithfulness in marriage was I am positive for HIV. My wife was pregnant. She was faithful to me. In the light of her representation of Christ, I saw my wretchedness. And I wanted the light. I didn't want the dark. I've been in the dark. I lived in the dark a long time. There's movies every once in a while. I'll hear a, a line out of a movie. I, I remember this line 100 years ago. It's a movie called The Matrix. And, and uh Neo is in the car, right, and they pull up to his space, and he's going to quit. He's going to jump out the car, and he's looking down the road. And you remember what she says to him? You know where that road goes. Now, when I hear it, they're talking about something else in the movie. When I hear it, it's, yeah, I know where that road goes. I have run down the road. I have celebrated the darkness. I know kids, teenagers, you all think that, I'm trying to stop you from having fun. Let me just say, for the record, there is no fun in the darkness. There is the lie of fun. But I can tell you, standing in front of my wife and professing that I was HIV positive after being unfaithful multiple times to her, there was no fun in that. There was no fun standing in front of the doctor for the next year and hearing from him the progression of the disease. This is 1980, 
seven, 88. If you were around then, you know what was all over the TV. There was a pretty scary thing going on with HIV and AIDS, right? People didn't know what to do. Kind of reminds me a little bit of COVID. <laughs> was, people were a little weird, for sure. And I was right in the middle of it. I sat in a hospital in Bethesda and I watched man after man after man go to see his maker dying of the very same thing that they told me I had. I sat in a hospital and held their hand. Because you know who was there? Nobody. You know who cared? Nobody. How much fun do you think that was? Person after person after person. I'd go every three months and they'd check my T4 count to see where my T4 count is the disease progressing or not progressing. And they we'd sit in a room and we'd do counseling. And the room that was full of 30 people or 40 people when we started, then with 30, then had 20, then had 10, then it would fill back up again. There's no fun in the dark. There is a promise that is a lie, and then there is destruction. That's what's in the dark. So I didn't ask God for nothing. I did not ask God to heal me. I did not ask God to do. I deserve what I got. I knelt at a little couch in a single wide trailer after my wife told me I don't want you to die, which I thought was pretty incredible since most of what I had done was deserving of death. I knelt at a couch. Was nothing holy about it was red carpet and pink drapes was horrible actually <clears throat> I knelt in that couch and I told God you can have whatever I got left I told him I'm all yours not a little yours I said I'm yours what you call darkness is darkness for me what you call light is light for me. And I'm going to... Now, that does not mean in Jackie's walk for the next 35 years, I never fell in darkness. Sure I did. But what does the Bible tell me to do? I agree. Lord, this is darkness. Forgive me for this dark thing I'm doing. For this darkness I'm allowing into my life. Forgive me for it. I name it. Forgive me. I remember thinking for a long time, lust was never going to leave. I would spend the rest of my life fighting with lust in my life. And then one day, it just wasn't there. Now, trust me, there's something else. The garden is not free of weeds yet. The Lord still pulls weeds. But when the Lord pulls a weed, you know what I call it with him? You're right, Lord, that's a weed. Oh, you're right, Lord, that's a weed. And so I have fellowship with him. We have a partnership. We're working together. God is sanctifying what he justified. God is helping me become holy. He's doing that work in me. So... In God's providence, a year after that whole thing started, one year, my wife is crying around the table for the umpteenth time, waiting to die. Our baby has been born. He's in church today. Our baby has been born, but he never had felt the hands, human hands. The people who delivered him were in astronaut suits because if he gets any fluid on me, I might get it. Kind of reminds me of today a little bit. And uh, then they whisked him away, helicopter waiting on the roof. They tested him. If he's got it, he's a baby born with HIV. Uh, we we got to take him, we got a helicopter ready to take him to another hospital where they'll be able to take care of him. 
So the first good news I ever got, he don't have HIV. The second good news I ever got, Kathy didn't have it. The last piece of good news I got was a letter from the Marine Corps who said, after trying to kick me out of the Marine Corps for a year, um, we, we don't know what happened, but our last test doesn't show HIV. So we need you to come in and give us all your blood. That was, that was pretty true. <laughs> we need to give you, the, that way, they weren't done testing. They weren't ready to proclaim anything. The letter is so plain. It says, on this date, you tested positive for HIV. On this date, we can't find HIV. So, see ya. And that's it. And I, it don't matter. And I don't tell that for, for you know, I'm not, I don't deny the miraculous. I believe the miraculous. I believe God healed me. I don't believe mistakes. God doesn't make those. I think this is part of the journey. But the point is to say, uh, if you asked me in the throes of all the sin of my life, I would tell you, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. And then there was a day where this was not fun at all. None of it. And then I could say with the Lord, dark. That's dark. God says that's dark. Don't do it. I've, I've, all my boys at one time or another told me, Dad, you're just saying that because you already did it. <laughs> Lord, yeah, you, you want what I got? <laughs> Walk the road. Walk that road. No, I want to profess. I want to stand in the light. I don't want the dark. So I want to confess that light. Look at the beautiful thing the Lord tells us. The last two verses we're going to look at, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. And we'll wrap up. Very, a very endearing term John uses in this phrase, my little children. It's, it's not meant derogatory at all. It's just, a, it's just a way of telling people younger than you how much you love them. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. I'm trying to tell you. John's trying to say, I, I want you to walk in the light. But if anyone does sin, you need to know this. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father. Not that I'm perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm a wretch. We already talked about that. I was blind, now I see. I didn't know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any special knowledge over anybody else, I nothing. I'm just a normal guy. I need an advocate, Jesus Christ. He is my defense attorney. When I stand before Almighty God to face the judgment of God, and for God to say, the soul that sins shall die, he has a uh, development of punishment for the soul that sins. This is a father's righteous requirement. You have to be perfect. That's the requirement. Be perfect as I am perfect. That's what the Lord declared. Be ye holy as I am holy. Absolute perfection is, the, is what you have to be. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. Because when I stand before the Father... This is why I love the book of Jude. When I stand before the Father, this is what Jesus promises to do. Not because I'm perfect, because when I stand before God, I'm going to look like a dirt bag. Right? That's what the scriptures declare. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm going to be standing before God, and I'm dirty. i got spots and wrinkles all over me. My clothes aren't going to be ironed. Whatever you're supposed to have there, I'm not going to have. I'm going to be standing before holy God, recognizing, understanding, I'm not light. And his son is going to walk up beside me and he's going to put his robe on me. So he's going to take away 
my wretchedness with his holiness. He's going to take away all the things that, have, that, that, are, that make me unholy before a holy God. That's what the advocate does. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, it's not that my, my works are going to have bought me something or done anything for me. When I stand in that place, Jesus will be my propitiation. That's the next phrase. He's my advocate, my defense lawyer. He comes alongside and wraps this robe around me. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the substitute. He's the hilasterion. He's the mercy seat. On the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant is basically a box, and into that box is put all the failures of men for the nation of Israel. Broke the Ten Commandments. How long did it take to break the Ten Commandments? Moses didn't even get down a mountain. On the way down the mountain, they broke the Ten Commandments. So the broken Ten Commandments, and Moses throws on the ground. Ten Commandments, and we'll put them in a box. The bread God gave the people from heaven. He gave them bread from heaven. The Lord called it bread from heaven. What did they call it? What's it? What's this? Manna. They put that in. The people wanted to rebel against God's leadership, so they took the rod of Aaron that budded, that symbolized that God chose Aaron. And they said, well, how do we know God chose him? He could choose me. So, so we're, we'll all put a rod in. And so they put all the rods in, and they come back the next day. Aaron's rod budded. And so they put Aaron's, Aaron's rod in the box. The box is full of all the failures of men. All man's failures. And on top of the box was the hilasterion, the mercy seat, which saved the nation of Israel from judgment of God because the box was closed and the mercy seat was on it. And Yahweh sat on the mercy seat. The Lord said, I'll meet you between the cherubim. This is closed. You know what happened when they opened it? Bad stuff. Don't open a box. Now you're letting the judgment out. Keep the box shut. Jesus is my hilasterion. He covers me in his righteousness. So Jude, Jude has this beautiful phrase that uh, I'll share it as benediction today because I'm going over and I just got to shut up. But Jude 24 and 25. Just here, just here. The Jude, the brother of Jesus, writes these words. Who was also a wretch, just like we all are. Separated from a holy God by our sin. Listen to what Jude would write. He says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And who will present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory Majesty, dominion, authority before all time now and forevermore. He is my propitiation. He presents me to the Father. I was once darkness, but now I am light. I am light because Christ makes me light. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can gather, this Memorial Day weekend, Lord. I, I thank you for the word that can be shared, Lord. I thank you for, um, I thank you, Lord, that you called me to the light. I thank you, Lord, that I obeyed. I pray, Lord, for anybody here who has not. And I pray, Lord, that you would call them to the light. I know in the darkness, we hate the light. But the light is everything we are missing. The light is every good and perfect gift the Father has to give. Lord, I pray that as we work our way through 1 John, you will challenge us to be real, 
to acknowledge if we're in the darkness that we need to repent. We need to confess. We need to stop the lies. The word says what the word says. We don't change the word because we don't like it. We change ourselves to match up to it. So God, I pray that you would do a perfect work in the lives of your people in this place in this place today lord that you would that you would open eyes open hearts to receive that which you have for us all god that you would do what no man can do you would open doors that no one could shut and you would shut doors that no one could open so that your people stand with you in the light of your truth in Jesus name Amen